Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President, Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. In Australia and worldwide, children under the age of 18 make up approximately 8 to 10% of people who see chiropractors. One of the large groups in this pediatric population are children under the age of 1, and the most common reason this group sees chiropractors is for the treatment of infantile colic. Now, in total, there have been six randomized controlled trials that have looked at manual therapies to help colic. Five of these have shown positive results, but all have various weaknesses, such as low sample size or a lack of parental blinding. If you tuned into the last ACA podcast we did recently with Katie Pullman, you will know that the systematic review she did with Parnell Provost rates the level of evidence for chiropractic care and colic at only inconclusive positive. Well, more work is being done in this area with a large colic study currently underway in Denmark. And I'm delighted to be joined today by one of the lead researchers in this project, Associate Professor Lisa Hesbeck. Now, just to give you a little bit of background about uh, Lisa, she completed her chiropractic degree in 1990 from Palmer College of Chiropractic. She was a practicing chiropractor from 1991 through to 2007 beginning part-time research in 1997 before becoming a full-time academic in 2007. Lisa defended her PhD from the University of Southern Denmark in 2003 with a thesis about high-risk groups and risk factors for low back pain in children and adolescents. Since 2007, she has held the Associate Professor position at the University of Southern Denmark and Senior Researcher at the Nordic Institute of Chiropractic and Clinical Biomechanics. Her research focuses on two specific areas. Firstly, musculoskeletal health in children and adolescents, and secondly, lifetime epidemiology of back pain. In total, she has authored 116 research papers, and her research has been cited over 2,600 times. So she's certainly one of the preeminent paediatric chiropractic researchers, and I'm so delighted to be speaking with her today. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the ACA podcast. Thank you. Now, um, perhaps we should start just by defining terms. What exactly is colic, and what are the hypotheses for its etiology? Infantile colic is basically a diagnosis of elimination. If you have a child that's gaining weight and functioning and you can't see any specific diseases but is still crying then if it cries more than three hours a day more than three days a week for more than three weeks that's the definition of colic and that's why it's sort of a very um, difficult diagnosis to work with because we know the child is crying but we don't know why So we're probably looking at a large group of uh, babies that cry for different reasons. And, of course, we believe that one of the reasons could be pain from the uh, musculoskeletal system. But 
there are many other uh, hypotheses out there. The most persistent one being about bacteria in the gut. And there are some evidence that probiotics can help a subgroup of these children. So in my view, we have a subgroup with stomach pain, and we have a subgroup with musculoskeletal pain, and then we have several other subgroups that we don't know about yet. We did a study some years back where we actually found that these children with colic, they had a higher incidence of ear infections later in life. So maybe some of them have ear pain, but <laughs> you don't, don't diagnose ear pain in a baby at three, of age, oh, I mean three weeks. So there are many reasons for the crying, and it's very difficult to uh, pinpoint the exact etiology for each individual child. You mentioned how um, it's a it's a diagnosis of exclusion, and, and of course some. Uh, understand that you know of course it's a self-limiting condition condition it's uh, effectively benign and i think some people in the health community might have the attitude that reassurance rather than treatment is appropriate um, what's your view on this for infantile colic most of the children stop crying at four or five months in the old days we said three months is actually more like four or five. So in that way, you could call it self-limiting. limiting. But um, you don't know if the problem persists. I mean, if you cry and cry and cry and nobody helps you, then it's also a survival strategy to stop crying. <laughs> if the strategy doesn't work, you have to try something else. And we do see... Uh, an overweight of, like I said before, ear problems, but more um, uh, psychosocial, I mean, psychological, that's not the word. But you get more sleep problems, more temper tantrums, a larger proportion of ADHD and other problems when they reach school age. Not that I want to catastrophize, because it's only a small proportion of the children that develop those. Most of them, uh, for most of them, it is benign. But you don't know which group that is. So I think we have to take them all seriously. I guess having, I mean, my children are now um, 24 and 22, so it's been a long time since I've had to uh, console a, a crying baby. But um, it's definitely... Um, a stressful time in life as a parent, and I agree. For most people, that's something they will get through with help, with uh, with family and parental support. But I was reading today just in our local age newspaper in Melbourne about shaken baby syndrome. So I guess that's the mm. the extreme end of it, and and fortunately, that's not you know there's only a very small percentage that end there. But I guess anything that we can do to help. Uh, people uh, and parents settle uh, unconsolable children must surely be a positive thing. Exactly, because what I was talking about are the long-term effects. But like you said, the, the most common reason for shaking baby syndrome is excessive crying. So if we can just prevent one, it's worth treating a thousand. So you have a, But another thing you said, you said reassurance yes. rather than treatment. In my book, reassurance is treatment. Yes. 
Yes, that's very that's very very profound. You've in two thousand and eighteen, uh, you published the study protocol for the the study that's currently going on at the moment, um, and you talked about some of the previous studies into colic. In total, there've been six uh, that have looked at manual therapies uh, for infantile colic. Um, you know, as I said uh, before, I've only. Only one of those were was um, negative. The other five were positive, but they all had weaknesses. So, do, can you give you a, a brief overview of the previous studies? What their weaknesses were, and are there any conclusions that we can draw from the previous studies? Um, of course, the most common weakness is that they're too small, and they are all rather small. But the very serious weakness is that some of them didn't have parental blinding. Only two of the six actually had their parents blinded. Um, But the Miller study from 2010, they had three arms where they had two arms that were treated, one with parents blinded and one unblinded, and there there wasn't much difference between these two arms. So maybe blinding isn't quite as important as we've been thinking so far, which sort of strengthened the evidence from the VBAS study, which had unblinded parents. But we don't know that. But it is a bit strange when we look at the Cochrane review and the, where they really compare the six RCTs that have been done, Yes. how five of them are so similar in results, and the Olaf Dottier study stands out uh, completely. Um, and it is high quality study, the, the Olaf study who had a negative outcome. But one of the reasons could be just my little, uh, thought uh, that they only followed them for eight days. And when we did, when we got ready to do our study, we had a lot of discussions with the chiropractors, and they all said they would need two weeks to make sure that the treatment actually worked. Before we get into the details of your study, which I definitely want to dive deeply into, I just want to understand about chiropractic utilization in Denmark, especially for for children. Are are there lots of kids that see chiropractors in Denmark? Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, Actually, the stats just came out from last year, and in 2017, we saw 25%, no, sorry, 2018. We saw 25% of all children being born within their first year of life. Um, now, I've got to get you to repeat that figure but again. That was 25% of all children in their first year of life have seen a chiropractor in Denmark. Every fourth child born in Denmark sees a chiropractor within the first year of life. That's amazing and wonderful. And thinking about... Um, I've... I've been thinking about the comparison to countries and the situation you have in Australia now, that we are in a country where we're not allowed to advertise. Yes. So here where we don't advertise, but word simply spread by mouth from parents to parents and through uh, midwives and health visitors, there we get to see the children. Whereas in in countries with aggressive uh, marketing, you get in trouble. (laughs) 
Yes, I think look, that's I, worth a thought. <laughs> there's a lesson to be learned there, isn't there? I've always uh, thought that the research should lead the marketing and sometimes just getting on with doing a, a good job rather than uh, posting things on Facebook is, is really what's going to get the best results in, in the long term. Um, let, let's talk then about the, the actual study. So um, I, I'd imagine and putting a study like this together would be very difficult because you're obviously needing to get um, children that are very young, you know, only a few weeks old, coming to a chiropractor. Clearly that's easier in um, Denmark because of the very high utilisation rates. But what were some of the challenges you had in, in putting this study together? It's taken us 10 years so that shows you some about the amount of challenges. But when we first started, we had some very positive uh, health visitors. And we have a good working relationship with the, um, the midwives. So the lesson learned from the VBAS study, which was also done in Denmark, was that it's almost impossible to randomize parents when they enter the chiropractic clinic because they've decided they won't care. And they are not prepared to go into a randomized trial where they might draw the control group. So we wanted to get to the children before, or the parents, before they even thought about having chiropractic care. So we had the, um, the health visitors recruiting when they met excessively crying babies. But it took ages and we didn't get any um, children included and as time went by, we got more and more resistance from the medical doctors. And they actually started, intimidated the health visitors so they wouldn't refer anymore. And after a couple of years, we, we simply had to give up, even though we had a, a, a good protocol and the study was fully funded. So we put it in the drawer for a while. And then uh, over the years, we developed a really good relationship with the um, the research unit for general practice here in Odense. And at some point, they had a PhD student who was a mother with a colicky baby who got help from a chiropractor. And when she finished her PhD, she wanted to do a postdoc about chiropractic care for colic. So the, the research unit for general practice got involved and Lisa Holm, um, who was... Uh, the PhD I was talking about, she was employed as the primary investigator on the project. So all of a sudden, the, the medical community couldn't resist it anymore. And uh, that helped. That was crucial. That was essential, actually. It didn't just help. It was essential for the study to succeed. The other thing is that Lisa was actually employed full-time driving around the country, visiting parents to recruit. So it was a full-time job over a two-year period to recruit 200 babies. So it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of uh, collaboration with other professions. Well, th well, thank goodness to the chiropractor who uh, looked after Lisa Holmes' uh, infant and uh, helped them with exactly. uh, their colleague because... <laughs> What's the word? You never know how far, you know, your 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 um, care of a, of a, a child or an adult might go, and that's obviously um, 
broken through a massive uh, medical barrier and um, thank goodness we're, we're at this point. Um, let's back, talk- back to that point again about the most important thing is that you do a good job in practice. <laughs> yes, exactly. It underscores that um, very well, doesn't it? So um, talk, let's talk about the inclusion and exclusion criteria. How did you work out who was going to be in the study and, and what were the reasons for perhaps excluding some infants? Well, we basically just went with the colleague definition, um, which is three hours per day, three days a week, as I said. But the last criteria about uh, three weeks, uh, we didn't use that because we wanted to include them from the age of two weeks. Um, So that was just the inclusion criteria. But then, of course, they were excluded if they had any uh, signs of serious disease, if they didn't gain enough weight. Um, We had 2 to 14 weeks. Actually, we had 2 to 12 weeks to begin with for the pilot study. But there were so many around the three months, the age, that wanted to um, be included. So we expanded the limit to 14 weeks. Okay. And obviously they were um, randomized into both the treatment and the control group. What made you come up with the idea that those that are going to receive chiropractic care have um, to, uh, four visits twice a week for the for the two weeks? How did you work that figure out? Um, we had a focus group. We got some chiropractors who do a lot of pediatric work together and said, what's the minimum (laughs) where we can expect a change? Because when you have to recruit the babies, it's a a really, really important point for the parents that it's a limited time period. Yeah. So we figured also based on on the response we got the first time we tried that if you expand the trial period to more than two weeks, it's almost impossible to recruit them. If it's right. only two weeks, they can, some of them at least, can think, okay, if I get the control group, it's only two weeks, then I can get the, the real treatment. Yes. Uh, so that's why we had to limit it to two weeks. And then how many treatment within that period? Of course, ideally, it would be pragmatic saying the, the amount of treatment that the child needs, which could be one or it could be eight. But when you have to compare to a control group, the amount of attention is important. Yes. So we have to say you need to come for four times, uh, two times and two times, two times a week for two weeks. And when we looked at the previous studies, it seemed that the, the, the mean number of visits was 3.8. So it actually fitted quite well. Right. So that's an important consideration, isn't it? Because when I first looked at the study and saw that it was just two visits a week for two weeks, my first thought was, gee, are we going to be missing people who might have gotten good results if they hung in there for three weeks or even even four weeks? But I guess that's the consideration, isn't it? You, d- you don't want parents who, or parents don't want to be, you know, denying their child of what might be appropriate care uh, for four weeks. There's only so much crying, uh, inconsolable crying that they're, they're going to manage yeah. with. And it was a complaint for some of the, the participating chiropractors that they were sure that some of the children weren't 
uh, finish their course of treatment at the end of two weeks. Yes. But but that's just life. We had to terminate it at some point. Yes. And then hopefully, the if if they were in the intervention group, and they would have improved at three weeks, they should have showed some improvement at two weeks. Yes. Yep. Because it's not like you are all improved or you're not improved at yes. all. It is a continuum. So yes. so hopefully we see a trend towards improvement, even though they could improve more if they continued. Now, while the um, the actual number of visits was not a was not a pragmatic design, the actual care that was provided by the chiropractors was. So it wasn't that they had to do a specific technique. They were basically given the option to do their normal technique. Um, what is their normal technique effectively? Yeah. Um, first, I just want to say with the four times, it was pragmatic in the way that if they didn't think they needed a manual treatment, they didn't have to do it. They just have to come in two times a week for two weeks. Right. But they yep. didn't have to treat something if they didn't found anything. I find see. Anything. Yep. Uh, but the treatment was, uh, well, you should ask the chiropractors, but they don't use uh, high velocity, low amplitude on the baby. Yes. And most of them use what they call a touch and hold, which is a very gentle um, fingertip pressure on yes. the affected joints. Uh, some of them might have used a bit more uh, mobilization type technique but certainly very gentle type of, of mobilization um, and another thing that was different between the intervention group and the control group was the muscle work because they also in the control group they got the the standard advice about move the baby, do some cycling with the hips and try to put them on their tummy and so forth. In the control group, the, the advice was individualized based on the palpatory and other observational findings. So you could actually tell them that, for example, uh, if the child had a favorite uh, lying with the head to the left, ask them to turn the bed around so the light is to the right to sort of make the child want to look towards the non-favorite side. Yes. So the the intervention was everything related to musculoskeletal yes. finding in the examination and the, uh, and the anamnesis, whereas the control group only got general advice. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, appropriate forces for, for, for infants. And obviously we have the Marchin study from 2015. And a lot of chiropractors involved in pediatrics will often quote that study as to um, a reasoning behind why forces need to be appropriately modified. I think the public perception especially from those who might feel very uncomfortable about taking a child to a chiropractor, have the perception that it is, you know, a um, forceful, te forceful techniques that will be used. And I think most people who've sat in the room with a paediatric chiropractor know that that's not the case. Do you think where it's fairly well established now that best practice uh, for um, children, especially the, you know, under 
under six months age group and particularly with sort of um, upper cervical or those areas that we really need to move away entirely from the uh, high velocity, low ampl- amplitude type of techniques? It's only an opinion. I don't have any uh, knowledge, factual based knowledge on that. Um, the only thing I've seen is the Oli Marchand's work, like you were referring to. But using common sense, it seems obvious. Yes. I mean, as, as you said in the introduction, it's I haven't been in clinic for many years, but I do remember when you got a baby and sometimes you would correct the dysfunction when you palpated it. Yes, yes. It takes a, a little, so why use more force if you don't have to? Yes. So I think always go with the lowest force, and that would go for everybody. Yep. No need to use more force than you have to. And yep. in these babies, you need so little force, so why use more? Yes. And I think the question, um, particularly relevant in Australia, is that it's um, that the move to that type of style of practice should be, um, you know, a consensus and a best practice guideline approach rather than a banning this care or that care type approach. Just as you have, you know, emerging evidence that might um, change the way a particular surgery is performed, it doesn't mean that the older way is all of a sudden banned. Um, that just seems a, a complete overreach. Yeah. And we also have to remember that one size doesn't fit all. Yes. Children are different just as adults are. Now, I wanted to just, you, you mentioned uh, in one of the earlier questions about how the etiology for um, colic is um, mixed um, and sometimes not clear. So it would seem logical that the the subgroup um, of infantile colic uh, babies who have a biomechanical dysfunction of some sort are the ones that are likely to um, respond well to, you know, typical manual therapies, typical chiropractic care, uh, as opposed to others who might have a different sort of presentation. Um, Would you say that really that um, chiropractors are, are really addressing this dysfunction rather than actually treating infantile colic? Um, I don't think I can answer the question with the wording you use because when you say dysfunction rather than colic, in those cases, I think the colic is the dysfunction. Yes, right. (laughs) Um, But yes and no. Um, Now I'm really really making sense. eh? (laughs) What I'm trying to say is that, of course, with, with the manual treatment, what else would you address if not a dysfunction in yes. the muscles and joints? Uh, so the manual part of the consultation will always be about dysfunction. Maybe that dysfunction has some secondary effects which will be then affected if you treat the dysfunction. But that doesn't mean that you treat the secondary effect. You still treat the dysfunction. Yes. Um so that's one thing. But the other thing is what I said before. I think the, the chiropractic consultation is so much more than the manual part. Yes. And I think these parents are so frustrated and they're really at the end of the line. So just having somebody reassuring them and saying that the child is absolutely normal, it might simply have a headache. Yes. <laughs> or... Uh, 
back pain or neck pain or whatever, and giving them some tools that they can use so they feel in control, saying you have to exercise this way or that way and uh, make sure that she sleeps and put her in the, in the uh, what's it called, pram. Uh, go for a walk or whatever but just the reassurance part of it and the good advice is equally important I think absolutely and I'd say that's particularly so with um uh, with de- dealing with young children because parents and especially first-time parents it's all a very massive lifestyle change uh it's all new for them they may have you know grandparents there supporting them um as well but uh you know it's it's a pretty daunting experience, I think, often for parents, uh, especially first time around, and that reassurance does count for a lot. And if we look at the the many babies that the chiropractor sees in Denmark today, I think it also reflects the changes that we have in society, that grandparents are often far away, and the healthcare system is cutting down, so they don't have as much contact to the GP, they don't have as much contact to the health visitor as they used to do. So some of them are, are pretty scared and alone out there, not knowing how to how to handle this baby and why it cries. Yeah, so I think there's an important role to play there in just simply explaining the normal. Yeah, that holistic support is, is, is really critical. Um, so you, one thing in your study, the 2018 study protocol I'm talking about, um, the statement is made that serious side effects of chiropractic care have not been reported. Now, you're aware of what's obviously happening in Australia at the moment, and you would have seen the ACA submission into uh, Safer Care Victoria, which very much shares your view on the safety of chiropractic care for infants. Do you have any sort of general comments on that as far as um, as safety and you know levels of risk are concerned for with manual therapies for for children? I, I think uh, you said, like you said, I, I read the the report that you wrote, and I totally agree. And when you consider the many babies that we see at least in, uh, well, not at least, but the, the many babies that we see in Denmark and Norway, and then going through all the cases of um, insur- in the insurance system up until the start of uh, inclusion of the chiropractors in the system in the 90s and up till 2014, there wasn't one single complaint uh, in either of the two countries. So it's really difficult to argue that it's a high risk or even a, a risky treatment. I think um, modern medicine would be uh, absolutely wrapped to have uh, statistics on safety like that, wouldn't they? Um, that's that's phenomenally good, and that's certainly been the experience in Australia. It would, also. It would be approved by the FDA at <laughs> once if they had those stats. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So uh, I know the study's still in process, but um, here's the how long is a string uh, question. When are we likely to see a publication uh, of the study that's currently underway? Um, sorry, but can I just say one thing about one more thing about safety? Sure, absolutely, please do. Because I was looking into the 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 reports. There are two reports of infant death after manipulation: one in Holland, one in Germany. None of them by chiropractors. Yes, but both of them included a lot of stretching, really, really rough 
stretching. Yes. Um, and I think we as chiropractors sometimes tend to think that stretching is less dangerous than manipulation. So that was just a yes. side thought. Yes. But I think we have to reconsider the the um, risk profile for stretching. Okay, that's in these babies. That's very important, and, and thank you for adding that in. So, so back but to the, the result. Yeah. Back to the question: When do when do we get the results? <laughs> Soon. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we finished inclusion in July, and uh, the cleaning of the data and the um, the outline of the baseline characteristics have been done, and the positive thing is that we can see the randomization work. The groups are very similar on all aspects except for sex. There are a few more boys in one group than the other. And the other good thing is that the blinding works. We have about 50% of the parents guessing that they were treated in both groups. Right, there you go. So, so the basics are there, and we've started doing the analysis, but we have group A and group B, and we don't know which one is the treated and which one is the non-treated, and we can't break the code until we've done with the analysis. So, But we will be done before Christmas. And then the publication process begins. Yes. Uh, but, of course, we can present it in, by, in abstract format conferences and what have you during the spring. And then uh, it'll be published hopefully sometime during next year. Well, I think there'll be many, many people that will be very uh, interested in attending any conferences that you're um, speaking at uh, in the first half of next year, uh, Lisa, because uh, any sneak peeks into what the results are, I think, um, you know, the whole chiropractic community right across the world will be um, waiting with bated breath. Yeah, I think I could worry about my career if the results are negative. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All right, Lisa, look, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know you're on the other side of the, the world and thank goodness for modern technology that we can have these sorts of uh, conversations. I, I really appreciated, um, that, you know, that your your expertise in this area and uh, obviously the Denmark as a country are doing it very, very well as far as um, their approach to chiropractic care and, and something to be, um, I think, modelled on for, for all countries across the world. So thank you for all the great work you do in research and um, thank you for your time on the ACA podcast today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. And I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast. <music>